Welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Bohm. Today, I'm talking to Hallie Gross, who's an actor turned writer who recently won Best Narrative at the Game Awards for her work on the highly acclaimed video game, The Last of Us 2. She's also written on Westworld, Banshee, and one of my favorites in recent years, the Nicholas Winding Refn TV series, Too Old to Die Young. Uh, I played The Last of Us 2 like a lot of other people, and as soon as it was done, I was just so blown away and emotionally moved by it that I just felt I had to have this conversation. So uh, I reached out, and I'm so thrilled that it happened. Um, She's been a part of so many things that uh, are just so cool and so incredible that her story is just amazing. Uh, You know, going from acting in TV and movies and, and doing a lot of Broadway to uh, making the switch from even comedy writing to dramatic writing. It's just one hell of a conversation. I'm so thrilled it happened. Uh, thanks for being here. This is my conversation with Hallie Gross, and this is the first ever podcast. Hallie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to talk to you. I've been uh, I've been looking forward to this one for for a very long time, and I'm glad we can make it work. Oh, thanks for having me. This is so exciting. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> for the listeners at home, I uh, we met up in a in a public park the other day, and I had a backpack uh, full of the um, microphone and the the interface, the sound equipment that I that I lend out to uh, guests when they don't have them. And um, we were laughing about how much it just looked like the uh, like the the gnarliest drug deal possible. Yeah, it was a whole <laughs> giant backpack, and he just handed it over, and I just walked away with it, like not subtle at all. Children watching. Yeah, yeah, it's also <laughs> great just because it was the first time you and I had ever met too. So it's just it's it it, it was the most like anonymous. Uh, it, here you go, take it. All right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, and you had a bandana we'll, we'll across your face, like like a <laughs> like an old west kind of like you were holding, gonna hold people up next. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm so yeah. So I'm I'm thrilled this is happening. Um, also, some fun uh, backstory, uh, just so everyone knows how unprofessional I actually am. Is so I finished playing um, The Last of Us Two, which which uh, Hallie is is a very big part of the writing team on, and uh, and I was like, I I want to talk to this person. So I I DM'd and was like hopefully this works out and uh and eventually you know uh, uh just a well little while later I, you know we ended up talking and here we are now so i'm that unprofessional i don't go through the i don't go through the uh you know the i, I should i don't do what i should do which is try to find you know representation i'm still the idiot who will just dm somebody because i'm no, excited fuck that. are we allowed to curse by the way i don't even know yes should of I? course okay yes well then fuck that no what was it like i don't usually go into my dms because it's it can be a terrifying place Yes, it um, can. It can be. And so, but then I, I saw your blue check mark and I was like, that looks like a person. That's like a, that's like, <laughs> that looks like an, an adult who's not trying to call me a, a feminazi or make comments about my feet. So let's, let's see what he has to say. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, uh, you know, no, obviously no disrespect to the, to, uh, to, to, to people who are, you know, big video game fans, but I, I imagine that um you've you've probably dealt with a little bit of uh people being a little too serious about things and and dming you gnarly things i i can only imagine yeah you know it's it's i would say it's a mixed bag there are some that are incredibly kind and wonderful and then occasionally you get something that's 
you're like, well, I got to send that one to Sony. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I can only imagine. Oh, wow. So, I, I, yeah, we talked for just a second yesterday, but I, I kept pausing being like, oh, wait, maybe we should save this for the for the chat. So now I'm excited oh, yeah. to get into it with you. So um, I do know that you're, uh, you had mentioned you were born in Florida, but raised in New Jersey. That's correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. When, uh, like, when did you move out of Florida? Was Are you talking, like, infant or? Yeah, so I I moved when I was, uh, like, three and a half out of Florida. But uh, I'm from this small island called Sanibel. And my grandfather was the island doctor. And my dad's cousin was the chief of police. So, and we, we kept our, our home down there. Um, so we would go back for holidays. And uh, I still think of it as as a second home, very much so. Well, and it's so just because I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around. So it's like a it's an island off of Florida. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's an island in the Gulf Coast, um, in Southwest Florida, off of Fort Myers. That's wow. just it's very much a retirement kind of island now. Very sweet. Is it at a place that is threatened by hurricanes pretty badly? Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Um, we lost our house to Hurricane Charlie a couple of years ago and had to rebuild. Oh, no. um, we're also the shelling capital of America. We have a museum of shells where you get these like stuffed taxidermied raccoons like holding shells up decoratively and you wow. can walk <laughs> it's adorable <laughs> it's it's yeah. a real treat <laughs> wow so you're saying mm -hmm. you still go you so you'll still go down there every now and again yeah my my mom lives there now again um after my dad died she moved back to florida um full time oh wow so she, okay. she's gonna be listening from there Oh, hi, mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> uh, oh, that's so sweet. Uh, and so what what brought the family to Jersey? Um, so my life is very much like a Lifetime movie, but um, my mom met my dad, who is not my biological dad, but he adopted me when they got married. Um, and so he lived in New Jersey. And so we moved. She moved in with him. And obviously I uh, was her child. So I, I came with her. Um, she had she had full custody. So. We moved to New Jersey, and then at six, they got married, and he legally adopted me. And so oh, then okay. we, we were in Jersey for my my whole childhood. I said okay. childhood weird. My childhood. Yeah. <laughs> Two <laughs> words. Yeah. Um, what part of Jersey were you in? Um, so I was in a town called New Vernon. It's near Morristown. Uh, it's like northern central. It's very pretty. It's a lot of like big open spaces and horse farms and yeah. It's very, very sweet. Very, it's not what people picture as Jersey. It's very rolling hills and and uh, like parks. Uh, you know what? I I uh, I ride for Jersey. I I, I feel like oh, yeah? the I feel like the Jersey Shore did a, a real bad detriment to what people think of as New Jersey. You know what I'm saying? Like that, it just became such a an amplified version of what people think New Jersey is. And I and I'm always just like, no, 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 no. Like it's there's so much beautiful land there. It's 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 mind blowing. Like just driving through it as many times as I have, like, or having friends that you know grew up there or own houses there or whatever. Like it is one of the prettiest states. I I, I strongly feel. Um, oh I, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's very bucolic. I mean, it's got real. A lot of it has real like Connecticut vibes when you get Truly. sort of in the middle, in the middle and in the south, sort of. It's all very, very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So what was so what was it like uh, growing up there? Like what what was your first experiences with, I guess, like film and TV? Like, did you did you attach yourself to it pretty, pretty young? 
Oh, yeah. So I, I was raised alone. I was raised as an only child. Um, and I was I kept my company a lot. So I like the best weekend day was just crawling into my parents' bed and watching TV for eight hours straight. Um, <laughs> and I got my first video game system when I was seven. So I, uh, I got a Game Gear and nice. I played, oh gosh, what's it called? Gems? Jewels? All I remember is like doing the Lion King video game where you have to like jump across the little giraffe heads. It was really intense. I was so proud of myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, very early on, I was really interested in I would write these apocalyptic short stories and sort of just sit by myself and yeah, consume as much media as I could. My my mother actually had to um, like set a time limit on how long I was allowed to be in libraries and bookstores because I, I would just lock myself in. I would just like sit down and just make stacks and uh, wow. it, it got a little problematic for her. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, when you're in a library, are you are you like pulling out books and referencing certain things or is it just like oh this is a table I can use and kind of have my own space here um and I don't have the distraction of being at home was that wh no, what was I, it it's I think for me it was the discovery like I spent multiple birthdays I mean multiple birthdays my request was please drop me and my friends off at the library and I would just like, I remember, I mean, this is this is not what I spent most of my time doing, but I like found like a vintage copy of The Joy of Sex from the 70s. Like, and I would just sit there and I would look at the body here and I'd be like, what? Like, what is this? Yeah. Will I, will this be me? What the fuck is this? You know, and just like, there, you know, there's just so many amazing, weird books you can find. So I would sort of like start somewhere and then I'd see what was around it. And um, yeah, yeah, just get lost in the different worlds and people put so much work into these books and and the research and I just really yeah I love the discovery of learning right so that's really well, so that's awesome um god I haven't thought about Game Gear in a long time by the way that was like the right it was, was it, it was the Sega response to Game yes Boy, right? yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and then there was color the bastard, screen it was a big deal <laughs> yeah and then there was the <clears throat> the bastard side guy which was what was it called Lynx or something like that oh I my gosh that. oh remember wow Woo. yeah Ooh, wow! Yeah, time travel. Uh, yeah, I think you and I are are pretty close in age, so we can we can bond over this old person stuff. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ren and Stimpy, all that right, good stuff. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let's let's uh, let's go back to the TV and 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 movie stuff. Like, what uh, what were some of the things that you liked as as a kid? You just mentioned Ren and Stimpy, but oh, like, yeah. was there was there like movies and stuff like that that you liked like early on? Oh yeah, I was so I was obsessed with the Adams Family. Uh, at a very young age, and I wore only black from kindergarten through third grade, um, much to my mother's disappointment because she wanted to dress me like a normal child. And I was like, I looked like a like a beat poet from the 60s, like just black leggings, black turtleneck. I'm good. Um, so I got very into sort of that kind of stuff and like Casper and uh, oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. Um, a little bit older, like Ender's Game was a big book for me. But in terms of TV, yeah, Ren and Stimpy was was the beast. My mother loved um, All Real Monsters on Nickelodeon, which is a little nice, bit older yeah. as well. Um, oh, gosh, I just I consumed everything. Like if it was on, I was watching it. Um, yeah, it seems it seems like you you were leaning into the the more family friendly version of horror, you know? With yeah, exactly. Family. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, as I got older, I, you know, discovered the cable channels. 
and ooh, the world there. I know that you uh, eventually got into acting. At what point did that enter your life? So I started, I got an agent when I was nine. Again, like seeing the Adams family had this very defining um, impact on my life. I got an agent um, and I, because I decided I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to become Wednesday Adams. And I also took up fencing for six years, uh, which I'm like, let me make clear. I'm terrible at. Uh, And (laughs) I only got through. Yeah, 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 yeah. I only got through (laughs) by the grace of my coaches who just had such pity uh, that I was really terrible and I was shy and fearful and, and, you know, but anyway, uh, so yeah, so I got it. I got myself an agent at nine um, and by um, one of my dad's friends was the president of SAC at the time, this guy named Richard Masser, who I'm still buds with and is a, a delight. And uh, he hooked me up with an agent, and then I started working professionally when I was 12. Um, I think it was my first job was acting as a um, a tiny candy thief on across the uh, what was that? As the world turns, as the world turns. Right. Um, yeah, which was like one of the longest running soap operas of yeah. all time. Right. It was like yeah, yeah, from, yeah. yeah. It was like 40 years or 50 years on television or something. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So you say you were a candy thief on it? Because I saw, I, I, you know, I was a thief I was trying of to do some, some sort. Okay, <laughs> I was just trying to do some research and I, and I saw you were on two episodes. So that had to have been a big story arc. <laughs> oh, man, you know what? I don't even remember that there were two, but that's amazing. That's <laughs> awesome. That's good for me. <laughs> uh, so what was, you said you you signed with an agent at nine and then you didn't mm-hmm. start working until you were 12. Were you were you taking acting classes or was were you just oh, waiting yeah. for the right opportunity? I went to theater camp. I took acting classes. I also like, so I growing up had this weird uh, growth disorder. Uh, We're just getting into it now. So I have something called, um, and it runs in my family, delayed growth syndrome, which means I look much younger than I actually am or I did um, before I matured into an adult human being. So Mm -hmm. I looked two and a half years younger than I was. Like they would x-ray my hands every year to sort of see how I was catching up and I was always two and a half years behind. So at nine, I looked six and a half. Um, and so, but I spoke like a nine-year-old. So there was this, like, there's this incongruity um, mm. that just really kind of, that, that's just strange, but becomes incredibly useful at a certain point when you need to start hiring child actors and you want to sort of give them uh, adult content or, you know, just speak to them like an adult. So I, I filled this niche, but when I was really young, it was just, I was a fucking weird little thing. <laughs> it was just a, a strange, hard thing to kind of cast. No, I, wow. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I was, I was certainly a, a late bloomer myself and I, you know, I, I dealt, I, I know it's different than what you're describing, but I can relate in a way to where, you know, all my friends in high school looked like, they were in high school and I looked like I was in junior high until I was, yeah. you know, probably like a senior. So I hit I hit five feet tall and 90 pounds my senior year of high school. And it was like a big deal. Like my teachers were excited for me because it's like oh. I finally made it to like to the five foot mark, which I had been dreaming of for years. And there was fear right. I wouldn't D- get there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Then, um, so you do, I saw, you, you know, you did a, a lot of like bit parts on, on TV, mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, ep- episodic episodes or, or, or whatever. And then mm-hmm. you ended up 
your first movie was a movie called Lying, right? Is that? Oh, is that true? Is that my first movie? That might have been my first movie. Um, I'm trying to remember. So, so my acting career, yeah. So I played. I did a lot of Law and Orders. I played like every drug addict, rape uh, rape victim, cutter, like uh, any any like really fucked up kid. That was yeah. I, that was the role I role I took. But the mo- for the most part, the acting I did as a teenager was off Broadway. Um, oh, so I did a bunch of yeah. So I, I sort of grew up in the off Broadway theater scene in um, in New York. And and hustling that way, and again playing like Lolita characters and and uh, cutters and bullies and and sort of again like any kind of fucked up thing where they were like, we need a kid to play this, but we're really scared to cast an actual kid to play this. Right, let's, right. <laughs> let's get this person who looks who looks like a child but is not actually fully a child. So I yeah, so I sort of did that, and then yeah, and then I guess I did lying when I was uh, a freshman in college. And when you were doing off-Broadway stuff, was that mm-hmm. with quote-unquote movie stars or was yeah. it with, okay, yeah, because I know a lot of those have like big, you know, big movie stars. I was going to ask though if if uh, being in the movie Lying was like at all like a big moment because obviously it has, I saw it as Chloe Sevigny and, and Jenna oh, Malone in it. I think I got the Lying job because I had just finished um, this big off-Broadway play called, um, it was a, um, uh, this play called Hurley Burley by a man named David Rabe um, that came out, I think, in the 70s originally or early 80s um, with Ethan Hawke, Bobby Cannavale, Parker Posey, um, wow. uh, Elizabeth Berkeley, um, Wally Shawn and uh, Josh Hamilton. And oh, let's see if I can do all of these. Catherine Kellner and Jesus Martha Plimpton uh, popped in for a little bit. Um, so. Yeah. So like when I was a freshman in college at NYU, like there was a full size poster of me in the um, subway station at NYU. Like wow. you know, it was advertised all over New York. I got stopped on the street every day um, because of it for a while because we were just everywhere. So I I believe I got the lying job because um, one of the actors in Lying had seen me in the play and recommended me to the director. Wow. If I remember quickly. Yeah. That's incredible. How like how was that transition for you going from TV parts to to uh doing Broadway? Like what was your first experiences with that? I'm curious. I mean, I for me, I had started doing theater really pretty young. Like my first off-Broadway show, I was 15. I I celebrated my sweet 16 um after the show one night, um, where they like they brought a cake out for the audience. It was really sweet. Um Aww. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but that was also like um I was also getting spanked on stage every day. Um because I was playing like this weird, like Lolita-esque figure who yeah. kind of was a bit of a sub. Um so uh <laughs> so it wasn't a new experience for me to be doing off-Broadway, but it was a new experience to because when I was doing off-Broadway as a kid, I would drive home every night and I went to a prep school. And none of the kids could see the theater I did because it was too adult. Hurley Burley was really one of the first times where I would do the go to economics at nine in the morning. Um, and people started to um, my the, my lives really bled together at that point where people would, you know, NYU has a huge acting school. And for my freshman year, I was in the acting program. And so there it, it felt like suddenly I was wearing my identity in both places. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah I was looking up uh, the school stuff and, and being from the West Coast and being so, someone who uh, didn't go to college. Like I, I, I've only, I only know NYU is like NYU, but I was, I saw that at first it was like the, you first went to like the Gallatin School of oh, no. Individualized so, Study. So I started at Tisch for acting and oh, okay. everybody there was so wonderful and so nice. But like on the second day of welcome week, which is like the week before school even starts, where you're just meeting people and getting your bearings. I was like, these people are great, but these are not my people. This is not my, this isn't where I'm, I fit. This isn't where I should be. Mm. So I put in for a transfer to Gallatin, which is oh. another school at NYU, which is this hippie school where you make up your own major. Um, because I thought, well, I'm going to be acting f- full time um, through school. So this will give me some flexibility because I can take classes that fit with my audition schedule um, and uh, maybe get credits for working on productions and stuff. Yeah, and I saw, uh, I, yeah, I even saw that you were on a couple episodes of Broad City. Um, yeah, yeah, how did yeah. That, yeah, how did that come your way? Um, I think I just auditioned for it, like sort of anything else, um, and got the job, and the ladies were really lovely. And then a few years went by, and then I was on, I think it was after Westworld, where they just called me back up, and they were like, hey, you want to do another episode? And I flew back um, oh, to wow. shoot the the next episode. But I think that's actually that. Broad City was the last acting job I've done a couple years okay. ago. Yeah. Yeah. The writing just again, got busy. Again, with doing my my minimal <laughs> research <laughs> and trying to be a per- and try to be a professional. Yeah. I thought, I, yeah. I thought it was interesting that it was that, yeah, you were on an episode in season one and then you were on, on an episode in season four playing the same character. It's like, wow, that's a yeah. big, that's a big story arc. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> you know? it was such a delightful call out of the blue. I was so thrilled. Um you know, I looking at looking at your Wikipedia. Um, Wikipedia. Has I have a, a Wikipedia. Way, you sure do. Uh, looking at looking at. Well, okay. Well, this will be funny because um, we don't get a say in what gets put on Wikipedia. So things are very taken out of really strange context. So like, the, I oh, have one as well, and it's super and it's super weird. Like, there's facts in it that it's like no one. Why is this on here? You know. So. Um, it says there was a line that said you stopped doing comedy because it made you uncomfortable. Is oh, that that's interesting. Weird, yeah, no. I was like, yeah, I, I. So I wanted to ask about that, like, if, <laughs> because obviously you transitioned from acting and comedy to writing, graphic like, violence full-time. to just full graphic violence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm curious what what. I guess the backstory is because you know again I, I don't take Wikipedia seriously and in a sentence like that I'm just like that's seems very uh, out of context to me. Sure, <laughs> no, that's yeah. I'll give you the context is uh, much more benign. So I <laughs> went to um, so I the writer strike uh, in 2008 happened right when I was graduating. I graduated early and then went to go do a play in Louisville and um, as an actor. And I knew at that point I wanted to be a writer. Um, I had been, I'd taken the most dramatic writing classes of any non-major that NYU had had ever. And I just loved it. And, um, but I knew I wasn't gonna be able to get uh, any kind of assistant job or anything because of the strike. So I decided to apply to grad school and NYU um, knew me. I knew all the teachers there. They gave me um, a bit of a scholarship. And so I went again with the intention of like, doing sitcoms. Like I was going to write comedy. I was going to be Tina Fey. And um, to write comedy, like for me, uh, I had to like, 
every day I would like eat a bag of Oreos and like drink a case of Diet Coke to just try and keep my energy up to try and keep in the like uh, sort of zany place of trying to build the math of jokes. So I, but at the end of the day, I would be super fried and I just have to burrito in bed and like heal and watch Grey's Anatomy. And then um, uh, every semester you had to write two to three scripts. Um, you'd have to write a play, a movie. And then if you were a TV concentrate, which I was, you had to do like a pilot or a spec or something. And so you kind of knew one of those was going to be a burner because you just didn't have the bandwidth to create three original pieces. And so I was mm. taking a screenwriting class and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to write an action movie. Like, why not? I'll just try it. And after writing like action sequences, I felt like I had done four hours of therapy. I'd like come out of my apartment and I'd be like, girls, let's get a rosé. How is everybody feeling? I feel amazing. <laughs> like, it was just such a plet. Like, I felt like I... I felt lighter than air. I felt like 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 I had had an exorcism. And so I yeah. just, I loved it. It came so much more easily to me. It felt more, um, it felt like a the right fit. Like I'd been, I'd been trying to make the comedy work. And I think I was good, but I wasn't great. Like I, I really had to work at it. Um, whereas I found writing sex and violence uh, pretty smooth. That was pretty, pretty, pretty delightful. So I just hard tack switched um, and I've never looked back. Like, and I think some of the stuff I've done have has had some humorous element elements to it and had some comedy, but like, but yeah, man, writing, writing a torture sequence is uh, way more fun. Sure. Sure. And I've never thought about it that way, but yeah, I mean, writing comedy seems extremely difficult because you're reading something on a page and like does it hit the same way it relies on the person's delivery who's saying it and if that person doesn't get the context of what you're trying to make the joke does it work like all of that seems really oh my gosh really I have so much respect for for comedy writers like you know and they have to keep all of their stuff so up to date like it's it's a it's a grind what they do and they have to think not only about structure, not only about character development, but then they have to have this layer of like a joke every three lines. And, right. you know, huge respect. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of work. Um, but yeah. I'm, I'm much happier in the in the in the action space. So, you, yeah. So what was what was the big um, the big job? Was that Westworld? Because I know you wrote for a lot of Westworld episodes. I did. Um, so my well, the. I'd say my big break came from a TV show called Banshee. Uh, that okay. was my first official like Hollywood TV job. Um, so I graduated. I got really fancy agents um, the day of graduation. Uh, I signed with UTA. And then, um, and then I didn't work for three years. I mean, I worked as an actor for three years uh, in New York. But I couldn't get a writing job to save my life. And I would go to interviews and get really close. And it never just landed. And then um, finally it hit with Banshee, which was a an action show on Cinemax. Um, and they flew me out to LA to write for season three, which was, so for me, that was like getting into the hotel room and like lying lying down in the, in the hotel bed with the fancy sheets. That was, for me, that was the big moment. Right. I'm so excited to talk kind of about this. So with, with uh, how, like, how does that work with, I guess, is it like considered auditioning when it comes to writing for a, for an already established TV show? Like, how does that work? Like, so, what's the experience with that? Yeah. So, um, well, you know, different strokes for different folks. It, it all sort of goes a different way. But for for a lot of shows, um, they 
ask for a certain kind of writer, certain kind of samples. They get a stack. They ask for recommendations from friends. And then they, yeah, then they just interview you. What What's nice about being a writer, I would say over an actor for me personally, is like you're walking into a room and they already know what your writing style is. Like they've already read you before they interview you because they're not going to waste their time interviewing you if they don't like your material. So at that point, you know, your your bona fides are proved. Um, it, then it just becomes, do you gel with the group? Do they feel like you're going to fit well with the team? Um, do they, are you, you know, do you, are you somebody they're going to want to work with at two in the morning, you know, when a deadline is due soon? Um, right. So, and uh, that part I was more used to because I'd been auditioning since I was a kid. Um, so, so that's usually the process generally is you're going in, they already know um, what kind of a writer you are. And now, then they're just looking to put a team together. And so obviously you want to do your prep work. And like, so I watched all the seasons of Banshee and I read everything I could on the showrunners and um, tried to be as prepared as possible and do my homework. Um, but yeah. And then do you get sort of like, okay, you're going to, you're going to be writing this episode so this is what's going to happen. This is like the idea of what's going to happen in the episode. And now you just put it on paper. Is that kind of the short, is that the elementary version of my explanation of how it goes? <laughs> um, again, it's, it's, it's pretty different um, show to show. So the high level is usually what happens is everybody gets together. The whole room will get together in a room um, or during Corona in a zoo room um, yeah. and break the season, which means everybody is, coming together to figure out character arcs, major temple moments, what's going to go where. So then the um, episodes tend to get assigned, but by the time they're assigned, you you very much know the context. And certain rooms are looser than others. So in certain rooms, it's like, yeah, I don't know, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens, go figure it out. Other rooms, like, you'll outline the episode as a group. So again, you'll have like three to 20 people in a room figuring out the structure of the episode and then maybe an assistant writing out what that outline is supposed to look like. And then you're coming in and giving it um, and building it out. Um, so Got sometimes it. it's super, super loose. Banshee was pretty loose. Sometimes it's very, very clear. Um, some, ep some TV shows, you will take the whole episode. Some other episodes, um, the whole room or several writers will write on an episode and just take different storylines. Um, so it's very much about whatever the, sh however the showrunner wants to run their room. So when you came out to LA to get mm -hmm. this writing gig, did you, did you end up staying or were you kind no. of balancing your life back and forth a lot? I, I was really committed to being a New Yorker. So I, um, I would take jobs out here for the length of the contract and I would sublet a place and I'd sublet my place in Brooklyn and then I would come back. And I kept thinking to myself, like, I just need to get a job in New York. I'm a New Yorker. I'm going to stay in New York. And then Westworld was originally supposed to be like, I think my contract was six months. And then it became much, much longer. And halfway through, um, it just became evident that like, this is ridiculous trying to figure out how to balance subletting and renting a place. And all my money is basically going into trying to maintain this lifestyle. It's so stupid. So I, um, I gave up on Brooklyn and moved to, um, LA full time halfway through Westworld. Right. Yeah. Right. I don't even know where to go with this, but I, <laughs> I watched too old to die young 
Oh, okay. Sure. Had had a great time. Um, oh, good. It's uh, it's, it's a, a show that. Yeah, it's funny when I've talked to friends about it, you know, I, I always say I'm like, it's a show that demands patience because, you know, yeah. some of the episodes are almost two hours long. Um, and if you're not familiar with Nicholas Winding Refn, um, you're going to probably have a little bit of a hard time with the the space between dialogue where it's like someone says a line and then 20 seconds Man go likes by a pause. Yeah. <laughs> Man likes a pause. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. But uh, so after that, you know, <clears throat> to... to explain how much of a fan I was like they I'm a big Cliff Martinez fan like all the soundtracks oh for sure beautiful I actually went to the uh Amoeba had like a signing with oh uh, yeah with With Nick and Ed and and uh and And Cliff Cliff, yeah 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 I I went to that got a record signed and and oh uh, no way yeah it was it was a really cool thing and I'm a I am a Nicholas uh Winding Refn fan so like when I was going through your IMDB obviously and I saw that you wrote on that I was like wow that's that seemed like a, a, a really intense uh, show to have worked on. I know you did, what was it, like the last two episodes? Oh, well, okay. So that show that show is an example of um, sort of everybody writing on everything at the same time. Um, oh, okay. But that show was interesting because I was on my second, second year of Last of Us. So I would do Last of Us. I would go to Santa Monica and I would work on Last of Us from... 10 in the morning till seven. And then I would drive to Sherman Oaks and then I would work with Nick and Ed from 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. Oh on the show. Oh my God. Yeah. So wow. we were all very tired. <laughs> we were all very, very sleepy. Um, but yeah, so I, for that one, I was originally brought on just as a consultant um, because Nick and Ed, Ed is one of my close friends and we work together on Westworld and they wanted to uh, get a female perspective into the show. And so Ed called me up and I interviewed with Nick and got the job. But I was just coming into sort of high level pass. And then we all ended up getting along really well um, and gelling. And I worked on, I guess I worked on Tool to Die Young for like 13 months or 16 months or something like that. Um, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I'm credited on the last two episodes. Um, but uh I I took a pass on most of the lady characters through the season. Okay, and wow, but, what a what a what a wild arc for you having worked with Jenna Malone on yeah, that yeah, yeah. early movie, lovely. and then yeah, and then she's on that show. How cool! I know it was um, a that was a real delight. It was a real. It's always nice when people come around. Like I worked on, um, I was in a movie called Across the Universe, and uh, right. that starred Evan Rachel Wood. And then to come to Westworld and have Evan oh, there too—that yeah. was like it's sort of nice to have these, seeing these people in these different spaces. Totally, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I always tell people I'm like, yo, like too old to die. Like episodes, I think it's like four through six or seven i was like there is no taboo left on un- left unturned <laughs> i was like fucking strap in like it is it is the most going for it show that i think <laughs> i have ever seen like truthfully no taboo left undone i was like it is it explores the deepest sure. darkest uh places of of the yeah, human yeah, yeah, mind yeah. and uh and if 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 you're down like you're gonna you're gonna have an experience. I, I tr- truthfully, like, I, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, great work with that. <laughs> so, okay, let's uh, let's let's uh, let's do some some Last of Us two talk. So, you said you were having you were doing both of those at the same time. That so, w- at what point did 
um did the last did that did the video game world come your way was it just kind of like your agent hitting you up saying here's an opportunity or i wish it were like a a a sexier story but yeah so i just come off of westworld and i was um playing skyrim uh and hanging out at home kind of you know chilling out after a job and i get an email from my agent at the time uh, a lovely guy named julian tuan over at uta and julian was like hey would you ever be interested in writing for games? Um, this dude, uh, Neil Druckmann, wants to meet with you about a super top secret job. Because at that point, Last of Us hadn't been announced yet. Last of Us Part Two hadn't been announced yet. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, having grown up on games, I was like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. Sounds great. Um, and he was like, this will be like a cool gig you can do for like six to eight weeks at a stretch in between other jobs. Um, and then I... Go and I meet with Neil, who's the um, director of the game and uh, my co-writer as well. Um, and I'm like, okay, cool. And he pitches me sort of a temple uh, beats of what he wants for the story. And he shows me some character designs um, for Abby. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. I'm, I'm in. So what kind of a commitment are you looking for? And he was like, like, like two, two and a half years. And I was like, what? Are you fucking nuts? No. Yeah. I'm not, are you crazy? I'm a... Like I'm a, I'm a gun for hire. Like I, I'm, I'm professionally slitty. I take a bunch of jobs all the time. And, um, right. and I, but I really loved what he wanted to do with these dual perspectives and this kind of story of empathy and, um, showing these, uh, diverse characters and, and really focusing on them. And so I said to him, look, I'm, I'm down to try and make it work if you're down to try and make it work. Um, and I got a call a week later, like, hey, let's let's give it a shot. Because also co-writing is such a a um such an intimate process that you need to know that you guys vibe. Like, do you get along? Do you have the same tastes? Do you know how to disagree and argue and, and kind of come back together? And so we did like a month-long trial where we got along like gangbusters. And then um yeah, and then I the, you know, four four, four and a half years later, the game came out. God. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh I've never thought about this this uh <laughs> having these things be equated at all but like I guess video games are very similar to albums in a lot of way where like it's not unheard of to take 4 or 5 years between a release, you know? Oh like, yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's minimum, I think. Right. Yeah, and I mean because there's certain there's certain games that they seem to kind of pump out because they have sort of a uh, a template laid a shape, out yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. yeah that's sort of that like uh, uh you know we talked briefly the other day when when we did our drug exchange and um <laughs> the uh the like i'm not i admit it like i'm not a i'm not a big gamer or anything like that my brother is my my older brother's always been my brother took the path of video games i took the path of music and um he uh <laughs> he you know, so like I, I always go to him and talk to him about, um, you know, what games I should check out and or what, you know, what the the new thing is that I should, you know, this, that and the other thing. So I was saying, like, I, I only probably play a new video game every, you know, one or two, maybe a year. And um, when The Last of Us 2 was coming out, uh, everybody was talking about it and everyone was posting about how genuinely moving it was and and how oh, they had like, yeah. like, like a very sensitive reaction to to the storyline and and it got me you know excited to play it in a way where you know uh like almost like a 
oh, there's a new, this is, I know this is a big claim, but like, like, oh, there's, you know, like there's a new like PT Anderson thing coming out or a new Coen Brothers thing coming out where it's like, you're going to have a, you're going to have a reaction to this in a way that you never had before uh, to like a video game. And I was like, I'm in, I'm strapping in, let's go. (laughs) And that's uh, wonderful. And yeah, just like throughout the game, I was just so blown away by it and texting with other friends that were playing it at the same time. So, um, yeah, it's such a such a accomplishment and such a such a feat. So, you know, I I don't really know where I'm going with this other than just blowing smoke. I just, you know, I want to say thank you for for providing such a a a different experience than than I've ever had before. Oh, I'd love to I'd love to take credit. But it really it's the whole studio. The studio cares so much about story, so much about character that. Yeah, it's uh, it takes a village, but I think we're all really, really proud of of what we made. I think we made we made what we set out to make, and that's what we you know we're really proud of. So, I you know I wrap up uh, the the show with the with this question, which is, uh, do you remember the first time? Um, I guess we could do it with writing. You can do it with acting. Any of these things, you know, it's dealer's choice here. But like, mm. where I felt like you were doing the thing that you were working so hard towards. I think for me, it was the first day on Banshee um, where I they put us up at this hotel and I drove over to HBO because um, the show is Cinemax, but they uh, Cinemax and, and HBO are, are tangled together. And so they got a conference room at HBO. And I remember coming into HBO and being in the HBO lobby and like finding finding the conference room, and like seeing the cards up with the episodes on the on the wall and just thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm getting paid to do the thing that I've been passionate about doing since I was a sophomore in college. Um, Like, this is it. Like, I really, really hope I don't fuck this up and I hope this isn't a one-time thing. Um, So I think for me, yeah, it it was just the first day. Like, you know, at that point, I didn't, I didn't even have like enough money in my account to like pay the uh, hotel bill, like, to like put down the deposit on the hotel, oh right, um, yeah. you know, and like then suddenly I was going to get paid like thousands of dollars a week to 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 do this thing that I loved and and have my opinions heard and get to craft these strong female characters. So, uh, which Banshee had had several of. So, yeah, I'd say for me it was just that first day, man. That was awesome. You know, I'm curious when coming onto a show that's already established like that. And also, by the way, that's a great story that that completely makes sense. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I like that a lot. Um, Thanks. When coming onto a show that is already established, do you is it hard to sort of like get the courage to speak up and have an idea? Um, like, did, do you feel that self-consciousness or is it just like a very I, I granted I am imagining every writer's room is completely different, but like. Um, for that first time for you, uh, did it take mm. you a second to adjust to that or was it pretty welcoming oh, yeah. immediately? Well, um, with Banshee, it was a brand new room. Like everybody was new. Um, so I don't, there was no like, um, uh, hierarchy or established relationships. We were all coming in fresh and only the showrunner was new or was, uh, had, had been working on the show before. So, oh, okay. so that but I will say, like, it felt I was definitely nervous to speak up. And I think I was nervous to speak up. I don't remember how loud I may or may not have been. But I remember the next show I was on was a show called um, Emerald City, which was a retelling of um, uh, Wizard of Oz for NBC. 
And I remember I was still pretty shy and, but I, but I, you know, my job is to pitch. My job is to come up with ideas and try and figure out what the showrunner's vision is and try and service that. So trying to, trying to pitch toward what their goal is. And I remember a couple of weeks into Emerald City, my boss, Josh Friedman, who is a wonderful writer and a great guy, um, came into my office during a break and was like, keep doing it. Like, just keep pitching. You're doing a good job. Like, don't keep it in. Like, if you have an idea, just say it. And that kind of gave me the confidence to go, okay, I'm just going to politely, obviously, and, and, and gracefully, but like, start speaking up. Um, yeah. And I've been a fucking loudmouth ever since. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if you've ever been asked this, but uh, if do you, is there any, would you, if anyone ever, ever like asked you for any sort of advice, like if someone wanted to get into writing or mm. is there anything that you, that you learned yourself along the way that you feel it would, is like a valuable piece of information for like anyone just starting out? You know, I know that's kind of a big question sometimes and maybe hard to answer, but. Um, I don't well, I know if you've ever thought about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I get asked it a lot. It sort of depends on like what part of starting out somebody's at. Um, like if you've never really, if you've never written, um, if you're just starting to write, I'd say watch and read everything and then figure out why you liked it and why it worked or why it didn't. And if you feel like certain things didn't work, what would you do to fix it? So like I love watching bad movies as much as I love watching good movies because in bad movies you can see where they went wrong really clearly and and you can think to yourself okay if I got hired to rewrite this what would I do and so constantly like engaging with that I would also say like coming to I think being a professional writer is like 80% trade you know 80% of it is learning how to be a plumber essentially so learning the rules of narrative structure even though you will come to points where you will ignore them or break them, knowing those basic rules are incredibly important. And to that end, I would say um, read books on writing. I love Matt Bird's Secrets of Story, um, K.M. Weiland's Creating Character Arcs, all the Blake Snyder Save the Cat books. Brian, uh, Brandon Sanderson does a beautiful lecture series on that he's posted on YouTube on writing sci-fi and fantasy, but also that talks about this stuff. Um, I, I compulsively read books on writing um, because I think you got to find the brand that works for you, that clicks with your brain, that you understand. Some people love Robert McKee. Some people hate him, you know, but you've got to find whoever it is that 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 uh, allows you to understand and internalize those rules. Um, also, the the what's called the writer's journey is a wonderful book, um, but really internalizing those rules and then applying them and working on your own stuff. My advice to people who are getting into professional writing would be, um, it's not about you. It's not about you and what you want to do. It's about servicing your showrunner or your, um, or your boss or whomever, if you're just starting out and, or even your producers. And that's not to say that you bend over and, and give them whatever they want. If you think that an idea that's on the board isn't working. It's your job to tell them, but it's also your job to say, uh, what about, what if we tried this? Or, hey, I'm not sure this is working. What about this? If your job is to come up with ideas that service their vision and service their intention. And you're trying to help them create the best version of what they want to do. So don't make it about yourself. 
and don't make it about your ego. If all of your ideas in a whole day get thrown out, um, or if you get notes back from your producer and it's a page one rewrite, don't, it's not about you. It's not, that's not a commentary on who you are. Um, you just, you just pitch in a different angle. You just keep coming back. It's not, um, I think, I think the biggest issue I've seen with writers and writers rooms is when, when they take things personally, um, and it's, you know, ideas, I don't, I don't, I'm sure it applies to, to music for, for what you guys do, but it's like, it's, you're a, you're a member on a team. You're, you're trying to get everybody to the finish line. This isn't about you being the one to cross the finish line first. So just don't be an asshole. I think don't be an asshole is really the best advice we can give everyone. <laughs> you're like, I'm just, just going to, you know what, I'm just going to sum it up to don't be an asshole. Sum it up. Don't be an asshole. Be nice. Be nice. Be pleasant to work with. Like, all of that is incredibly valuable information. And yeah, you're totally right. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it took uh, this band I've been in for, for now 12 plus years. Like it took us, you know, a couple records to realize what all of our little buttons are and like oh, how, yeah. to, how to best approach uh, talking to this person about what could maybe be different or whatever, you know. And, you know, now we're five records deep and we are so comfortable with each other and we can say whatever we need to say and it's and we know it's you know if someone brings in something chances are it's going to sound totally different but they're willing to to go that way and it sounds like that's sort of the same in the same ballpark uh as what you're discussing right now yeah honest but supportive i think that's the job oh you're awesome how this is a, this has been a joy thank you so much for coming on the show thanks for having me man this has been a blast Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe or follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. And if you can spare a moment to give us a rating and review on Apple, it helps the show gain more visibility and that can make all the difference. Thank you, and I'll see you again next week. Yeah.